0: This is our second uh, second sermon in the book of James. We are in James chapter 1. We got a whole uh, four verses deep, so uh, we got uh, quite a bit to go. But James 1, we'll start at verse 5. Uh, and uh, I want to ask you, uh, do you know some Bible verses that get taken out of context a lot? You know, we always want to interpret God's word, how we understand God's word is in its context, right? We've talked about that many times of how we always want to look at one verse. We can't just take it out and say, oh, this means all kinds of things without understanding where it lives, right? Uh, A couple verses beforehand, the chapter, the the book, we need to understand that. Things get taken out of context all the time. Uh, Revelation 3.20 is one that comes to mind for me all the time. Uh, the one where Jesus is knocking on the door. And he wants to come in and have supper with them, have fellowship. A lot of people take that and are like, Oh, well, Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. You have to let him in and he'll save you. Well, that's taken out of context because who is that verse written to? It's not to unbelievers. It's not about salvation. It's actually about Christians. It's written to Christians and Jesus wants to have fellowship with them. All right. So, so verses get taken out of context all the time. And actually today what we'll be looking at is one that gets taken out of context a lot uh, and and gets extrapolated to mean all these kinds of different things which it was never intended to mean. Uh, So we're going to be talking about that today. Uh, So it's James 1 starting at verse 5. We will read and then we will pray and then we will study it together. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let's pray. God in heaven, we do come before you again to ask uh, for your help. Uh, Lord, we, we need you Uh, As we approach this text, we need your Holy Spirit to move in our hearts that we would understand what you would have for us today. Uh, God, I pray uh, that the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart, that it would be pleasing to you. Uh, God, I pray that your word would go forth in each one of our lives, that your Holy Spirit would convict and change each one of us, and that we would walk away from this text changed forever. God, I pray that you would just be with us now. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the reason why I say uh, that there is a verse here that gets taken out of context all the time is because we have to understand uh, this text here, these verses, in light of last week. In light of the preceding verses. What is the main theme that James is talking about? We have to ask ourselves, and I hope that you ask that question whenever you get into the Word of God, that you ask yourself, what is the big idea here that, that Paul or Peter or... Isaiah is writing about. How do I understand this one verse in the context of what's going on all around it? Well, for us, we can know, based off of last week, that he's talking about trials. Right? He's talking about not just... Uh, some people take that word and they go with temptation. Uh, but that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about outer affliction. Remember, he's writing to believers who are on the run for their lives. Right? They're being persecuted. Not just politically, Right? Not just in the uh, persecuted in the minds of individuals, but actual physical persecution. And they are running for their lives, they've given up their homes, they've given up families, even they, they, they are running because they believe in Jesus Christ and people are hating them and wanting to hurt them. All right, killing them for their faith. So they run and he, uh, he says the famous words, "Can it all joy, my brothers? when you meet these kinds of trials and trials of various kinds, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And then immediately is our text. So we have to understand this verse, this famous verse, in the context of what is happening all around it. Persecution, suffering of all different kinds. So this is why he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, who are the you? The people who are suffering. If any of you Christians who are suffering lack wisdom, let him ask of God. So often people take this and say, "Well, it's just meaning in life in, in a general term." Uh, does God want to give you wisdom in, in a general way? I think so. I think we'd be safe to say that. All right, but uh, when we're looking at this verse, it's very specific. It's a kind of wisdom. It's a, it's a certain circumstance that is happening he says, if any of you are in this right now, and you lack wisdom. Alright, so think about it in your own life. If you are in a circumstance where uh, you are being afflicted outwardly, there, there is something that is happening to you. Uh, not something that you are causing for yourself. We're not talking about uh, temptation and sin that you do from your own heart. But things that are happening to you. Alright, uh, if any of you are in there, in that situation, and you realize that you're lacking something that you need something. It's not that you you haven't everything's going fine, even though you're being persecuted. But you you realize that you need wisdom. What is that? Well, uh, the Greek word is sophia. It means uh, just a, a, really a, an application of knowledge. Right. Some people get those words mixed up. You can be very smart and be very unwise. Right. You could have a lot of knowledge and be an idiot. Uh, that's true. All right, uh, you could go driving down the street, and you could find that out very quickly. All right, uh, there there is knowledge, but it's not the same thing as wisdom, because wisdom is how you take that knowledge and you actually do it, you live it out. It's the proper application of knowledge. All right, so so we have to understand. All right, so he's talking about some kind of knowledge that they need to know how to use it. What is that knowledge? Well, it's the verses two through four. He's saying, all right, I've said this, count it all joy when you you get into trials. And we talked about that last week, how how we can look at these trials that we're facing and name them joy, right? But how do you do that? It's one thing. It's a really easy thing to say that, right? To say that you you are to be joyful in in your persecution and your suffering. But what about when you're actually there and you're saying, okay, I know that. But it hurts. I know that, but I don't know how to do it. I, don't, I have that knowledge that this is the truth, but I need to know how to actually put that into my life in a practical way. And that's what we're going to see in the book of James as we go through our series. That's what he's always trying to do. He gives us knowledge, and then he, he shows us, all right, well, this is how you actually do it. All right, so that that's really what this verse and these verses are all about. It's answering that question. How do you take that knowledge of verses two through four and actually live it out? How do you actually suffer well as a Christian? All right so if any of you lacks wisdom on this subject, let him ask God so that the, right off the bat we see that there is someone that we are to go to for this help. It's not uh, it, it's not the the butcher down the street. All right, it, it's, it's not the, the guy who works at the grocery store. It's not any any friend that we have. All right, it's, it's an okay thing to talk to friends about what you're going through, obviously. But who, who do we ultimately need to go to when we are suffering and we don't know how to live as a Christian in that suffering? We go to God. Simple question, simple answer. We go to God. Uh, why? Because we need Him. All right, uh, in, in the back of your bulletins, I'll ask you, to, if, you if you look back there. Um, uh, number one, a Christian asked God for help. He asked for God's help to suffer well. All right, so we need to go to God. We need to go to him and, and do something. He says, let him ask God. So if you don't know how to live out your faith in this persecution, ask God for help. Ask God for help. Why? Because he gives generously to all. Without reproach. And it will be given him. So he gives generously. He'll do it. He'll do it. He wants to do it. God wants you to suffer well. God wants you to take whatever you're going through. Whatever that circumstance is. If it's uh, if, if some kind of outer affliction. You're wondering how to deal with it. God desires... That you would suffer well. It's what he wants for you through that. He doesn't want you to just be in pain. God is not a a mean tyrant who sends all these hard things into your life and and gets some kind of uh, joy from seeing you struggle. No, that that doesn't go with all the other attributes of God, does it? No, he is loving, he is kind, he is merciful, he is gracious. Of course, he doesn't want to see you suffer. He wants to see that So that you could actually use it. He doesn't want you to suffer for no reason. He wants you to suffer well and to use that like we talked about last week. So he will give you wisdom. He gives generously. Notice the wording, to all. To all, not just a specific few. Now some some will take this and say, well here he's talking about uh, believers and unbelievers. I don't think so. I think he's talking about those Christians who are suffering. And anyone who is in that circumstance, any Christian who is suffering, he will give it to any one of you. He will give it generously to all. Sinner uh, sinner and saint at the same time, he will give it to you. He will give it to believers. And he says without reproach. Uh, so there, there's no holding back. Uh, he will open up the floodgate. It's going to come if you ask for it. Uh, there's no favorites. Right? And, and we see that because it, it's a desperate thing. It, it's you asking him for help because you don't know how to deal with it. It reminds me of, uh, uh, here we go with the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, I love that movie, watch it every Christmas Eve with my family, have since I was like four years old. Uh, but there's this moment, if you've seen that movie, you know George Bailey, he gets into this position where everything is crumbling, his uncle lost money, Bankers are coming asking for it. There's a warrant for his arrest. He's fleeing. He's at the bar. And, and he's, he's at the very end. He says, he, he calls out to God, right? Which is something many do, right? And what we do in our own life when we're at the end of our rope. He says, I am at the end of my rope. Show me the way. And he just repeats that to himself and repeats that to himself. Show me the way. Show me the way. Show me the way. That's us. That's us when we're suffering. And and sometimes we're at the end of our rope and we don't know exactly what to do in our situation. Well, we ask God and He will give graciously. And and He will help us. So He he will do it. He says without uh, without reproach. And it says following there at the end of verse 5, and it will be given Him. So there's certainty there. It's not uh, a maybe. It's not a questioning thing. It will be given. So God will not reject. If you look at number two in the back of your bulletin, God will not reject a Christian's genuine request for his help. God isn't going to look at you and say, so sorry, I'm busy. So sorry, I have something else going on, or this is too small. Because he doesn't say exactly what the trial is. He doesn't give like a level to it and say, all right, well, if you're struggling and you're past the seven, right? You're, uh, if you're in the hospital, right, they give you like a one through ten thing of, like, how much does it hurt? Uh, don't call me unless it's past the three. Right? It's not like God looking there and saying, well, it has to be past a three-level trial for me to help you. He says if you just don't know what to do, you ask him, no matter what the trial is. If it's a big thing, or if it's a small thing, God doesn't care. He wants to help you through it, whatever it is. And He will help you. It will be given. But there is a stipulation. Right? There, there's, some, there, there's, a, there's a kind of thing that needs to be done. What is it? Well, this is what we my, many of us know, verse 6, but let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. But let him ask in faith. What is that? That's trust. We talked about that last Sunday morning when we we're going through our Sola series, Sola Fide. It's trust. There's no doubting in it. It's not second guessing. It's not asking him and saying, "Yeah, I don't know if I don't know if God can help." I don't know if he cares enough to help. Uh, you know, some of us do that, right? We, we, we have some doubts. Uh, whether God can help or whether God will help. We doubt those two things. And I think really at the core of that is a certain doubt. Many of us have this in our own lives, of whether it's in trial or maybe just in life in general, that we doubt this one thing. Many Christians doubt that God's care for them. Many Christians do of, well, I I don't I don't know if he cares enough about this situation or I don't know uh, how much he, he loves me. Well, I think that we can find it very clearly. I'll ask you to turn to Romans chapter eight for a minute and we'll come back to James chapter one here in just a few minutes. But Romans chapter eight and we have to we have to squash this doubt. Uh, Because it is one that that can easily sink into your heart. And you might be thinking, well, I've never really doubted that. Uh, But I I would say if you search through all your doubts, there's probably a core there. Right? This is the oldest one. Right? You go back to the garden. What does the snake tell the woman? Did God really say? And then he starts going through and talking about the the fruit. And uh, basically, doesn't God want you to be happy? This fruit will make you happy. God doesn't want you to be happy. God doesn't care for you. It's one of the oldest lies. So let's squash this doubt together. Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 31. And just to give us a little bit of context, this is just after Paul has gone through, and he's been doing it for several chapters now, but he comes through this end of the glory of election, the glory of God's care and concern for Christians and redeeming them. All right, in verse thirty-one, what then shall we say to these things? What is the result of this idea, this awesome idea of justification by faith alone? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, with him, graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God elect? Uh, God's elect. It is God who justifies. Who is, he to, uh, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine? He keeps on going with all these different things. For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And then he has the, the famous words for I'm sure... That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, not powers, nor, uh, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Does God care for you? Yeah. God is for you. Now, understanding that, if you take a minute and you kind of sit back and say, well, what was I before Christ? You were his enemy. Right? We were were dead in our trespasses and sins. And yet, because of what Christ has done, God is now for you. The God of the universe, the one whom we sing songs about, the one who we look around and we can see that he has created all things. We can be just blown away by his creation. That's just a small thing of what he can do. And that same God is for you. He's on your team. He's leading the charge. He's on your side no matter what. There's no changing. Once you're on God's team, you don't go back. He says nothing. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. But yet at the same time, all right, God is for us. But what does He say? He says in verse 36, As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. Sometimes we still face those trials, but even in the midst of those trials, we can know and have confidence and not doubt that God cares for us, that God is for us. Who can stand against us? The obvious answer is no one. Why can we know this? Yes, we see His work all over, but why can he know that He is for me? Well, what do he do? He says it. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? How do you know that God is for you? The cross. That says everything. God is for you because he sent his son to die on the cross for your sin in your place. I don't think you can go a step farther in saying, yeah, I'm on your side. God is for us. We could see it in the cross. That's in the the back of your bulletin there. Christians need not doubt God's care for them because of the cross, because of what Jesus did there. Yes, God cares for you, and nothing will change that. Not anything. Not even death. For your sake, I'm being killed all the day long. Not even death can separate us from the love of God. So let's take that mind of understanding that God is for us and go back to James 1 and understand that yes he will give us generously all uh, without reproach it will be given us this wisdom but let him ask in faith know and trust that God is for you with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind aimless you are lost If you doubt God's care and concern for you, a saint. If you have believed in Jesus Christ, you are his. You're his child. Of course God cares for you. Of course God cares about what you're going through. Of course God will get you through it. And he will give you that wisdom. He will give you what you need. Without him you are lost. He says... Uh, With no doubting, uh, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. If you doubt God, you will not get His wisdom. You won't trust Him. You won't trust Him. If If you are doubting God, of course He can't give you wisdom to get through. Because even if He gives you something to show you, that He's going to get you through, some kind of signal... Even if you were, have have you ever been there of being like, I I just need to see something. I need to see something to get me through this circumstance. If you doubt God, of course you're not going to even see that. If you doubt God, are you going to be in the Word and being sustained in your faith? Of course not. That's what doubt does to us it drives a wedge. It drives a wedge between you and God. And it's not a wedge that. Uh, God is uh, looking at and helpless in but you put it there you're the one who's putting the wedge there you need to trust God if not you're like a double minded man what does that mean you got two brains two brains fighting for control one that believes God and one that doesn't and you're fighting your own actions have you ever been in a three legged race Maybe at a potluck or something like that. Camp thing. Right? How far can you get? Maybe some of you guys are champs. I don't know. For me, I don't do well in those things. Right? Because you have these three legs and you're trying to go and work together. What often happens is you fall along the way. Right? That's what he says. He says they're unstable. If you doubt God, you're unstable in all your ways. You're fighting with your... Uh, With the Holy Spirit. We're fighting with God. And saying, no, I'll go this one step. I'll go this one step and I'll trust you. And something will happen and we'll say, no, I don't trust you anymore. I don't trust that you'll get me through this. That's what it's like when we get into our trials. When we get into these outer afflictions and we look at these things and say, no, they're bigger than God. Or we we start to lose hope in that, that promise that we have, that God is for us. So what is the end result of doubting God's love for you? It's falling. That's number four in the back of your bulletin. It's falling. You will fall. You will fail. You will fail in your suffering. You're not going to suffer well if you doubt God. Sure, you might survive, whatever it is. Let's take it to the extreme and say, like these believers here, all right, who, are, who are literally being persecuted to the point where people are dying for their faith. Were some of them going to live, even if they doubted God? Sure. But did they learn from their experience? No. Did, did God get the most glory out of what could have happened here? No. And that's what we do. In Sunday school this morning, we read a quote from John Calvin. When we take one thing, we detract a little bit from God's glory. We are robbing Him. And when we suffer, and we do not suffer well, we do not suffer with faith in knowing that God cares for you, that God is for you, that God will sustain you, what happens? You are stealing glory from God. Because He could do something there. He could do something there in your life, uh, Thursday night, uh, we, were, we were going through uh, seeing Christ in the Old Testament, and we, we just got through Abraham and his uh, his almost sacrifice of his son, and how God told him to go go take take your son, take him to the top, sacrifice him there to me. And the whole time, the whole time he he's saying God's going to do something. He tells his servants. Uh, he tells his servants, uh, me and the boy are going to be coming back to you in a little bit He has faith there. He looks at his son and his son is saying, you know where's the sacrifice?" He looks at him and says, God will provide the sacrifice." He trusted God and from that that peak in his faith of going through that incredible circumstance and still having faith in God that God would deliver him, that his care and concern for him was there. He went from there to be able to do other things for him that he would never have been able to do if he didn't have that faith there and have seen that God kept him. Think about it in your own life. I know I kind of mentioned this last week, but think of it in your own life at a moment where you had faith, that you trusted God, even, even in the face of something terrible, and you trusted God and how that informed the rest of your life. How you look back at it and say, yes, I can get through this because God got me through that. And his love and, uh, and concern for me hasn't, uh, hasn't lowered in any way. It's still there. He will certainly get me through this. That's what we have. The end result of doubting God's love for you is falling. But the end result of trusting is help. It's real help. It's tangible help. It's not just something that you can say, and, well, I guess God helped me there. You can feel it. You can know it. You can sense it. God is going to help you. He will give you the wisdom that you need to get through that trial if you trust, if you have faith, and knowing God is for you. And if He is for you, who can be against you? Nothing. And then neither death, nor height, nor depth, nor anything can separate you from the love of God. So let us remember that. Maybe some of us are there. You, know, you had a, a rough, maybe even it, it happened to you this morning. There's some kind of outer affliction. You're looking at it and saying, how do I, how do, I do this? How do I name that joy? Trust in God. And He will help you. He will get you through. And you can learn from it. Others can learn from it. And you can glorify God through your suffering. So suffer well for His glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do know that we live in this fallen world and we know that we will suffer. Maybe some of our suffering will be more than others. But each one of us has things in our life, things that do not go well for us, whether uh, it is people or whether it is powers that are at work in our life or whatever it might be, random circumstances even. Lord, whatever whatever happens in our life, we know that you are for us. And Lord, even though that's a, that's a simple statement, Lord, the, the good that it does my own soul to know that, that the God of the universe who no one can stand against. Who is the sovereign and ultimate I am. is for me. You're on my team. You have me. God, I thank you for that. It helps me to know that when I go through circumstances that are hard. That are difficult. That test me. That push me to my limit. That push me so far that I just cry out to you and say, help me, please. That you do help. Because you love me. Because you have concern for me. God, I pray that I would not doubt that. I pray for my brothers and sisters here. That whatever is going on in their life, good things, bad things, that they would trust in you. They would hold on to that. Lord, that they would not doubt your love and concern for them. Because we have the cross to look to. The ultimate act of love and affection. You set your son to die for us. We have believed in him. We've trusted in him. Lord, if there is someone here in this room who's never done that, I pray that they would today. Lord, the the hope that I have, the hope that we can have in Christ, it's glorious. I pray that they would experience that today. And God, for us who, who are Christians, we, we know that when we go through these things, there's purpose to it. We do not suffer aimlessly. We do not suffer for, for no reason at all, for ch- uh, chance. We suffer for purpose. To bring you glory, to grow in Christ. Christ. But Lord, that only happens if we call out to you. If we're relying on you. If we trust in you. And if we do not doubt. God, I pray that you would strengthen our faith. That you use your Holy Spirit to, in those moments, when we are weakest, where we maybe, uh, instead of lashing out at others, that we would call out and cry out to you. And that you would give us that wisdom. So we could be sustained in our faith. And so we could fulfill that purpose of glorifying you. So we could fulfill that purpose of growing in Christ. And Lord, being a witness to others. Lord, I pray that we would do that even today and through this week. Lord, reveal it to us. Maybe we're, maybe we're suffering out of affliction and we, we don't even realize it. Lord, I pray that you would show that to us so that we could use that as an opportunity. To, to grow in you and to give you glory. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.